0: The scripture reading for this morning is Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, we are right in the middle of a three-part series on the vision, mission, and ministry commitments of Grace Church. Last week, we looked at 1 John uh, chapter 3 and considered the great love with which we have been loved by God, that we should be adopted into his family. We are his children, and by grace and grace alone, we are a family. We are called together to be the local expression, a local expression, of God's family in our time, and in our place. Well, this morning, we turn to the mission of Grace Church, which describes how God's family grows. And I think we're going to have it there. It is on the screen. Out of love for Jesus and people, the mission of Grace Church is to make mature disciples of Jesus Christ in ever-increasing numbers. The inevitable outcome of adoption into God's family must be an ever-deepening desire to see others experience the same love, the same acceptance, the same security, and the same uh, joy that we experience as we have come to know Jesus Christ. Just as good parents long to see their children grow into maturity, so too our heavenly Father longs to see his children mature in their relationship with him and the way in which they live for him in the world. This growing up as children happens as we follow Jesus as his disciples, as we follow his teaching, as we pattern our lives after his life. We grow into the fullness of what it means to be God's children. Our passage for this morning is a call to disciple making. It's very familiar. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We often associate this text with evangelism only, with sharing the gospel And going and telling people about Jesus and calling them to put their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation. But that's just step one in the process of making a disciple. We believe that the church is called to the whole process of disciple making from beginning to end. And so, what is understandably often kind of separated in our thinking and and even in our necessarily and kind of in the way we plan things that distinction between evangelism and discipleship is really an artificial distinction. They're, according to scripture, the same thing, the one work of making disciples of Jesus Christ in ever-increasing numbers. Our mission is nothing unique. Our mission really is the mission of every single church that's seeking to be faithful to the Great Commission. Again, out of love for Jesus and people, the mission of Grace Church is to make mature disciples of Jesus Christ in ever-increasing numbers. So with that, let's turn back to our text, Matthew chapter 28. There are two things I want us to consider from this text this morning. The first is what the text tells us about going deep in our making of disciples. And the second is what it says about going wide in our making of disciples. So going deep and going wide in our making of disciples. And then after we cover those two points, we'll have three uh, points of application in the conclusion. This won't feel like a five-point sermon, I promise. Right, if, if, it At least on paper, it's not going to feel like a five-point sermon. I can't make any promises, right? Let's go to prayer. Father, we thank you for this time we have this morning, and uh, we do pray that you would be with us. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. We pray, would you help us to take to heart everything that is here for us in your word, and live it faithfully in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so first going deep when it comes to making disciples, there's only one command in this passage. And what's commonly referred to as the Great Commission, there's actually only one imperative, there's one command. So look again with me at verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The one command, the one imperative that's there is simply the command to make disciples. There are three participles that unpack what it looks like, how you do the making of disciples, those words going, it's actually going in the Greek, it's not go, It's, it's it's a participle with an imperatival force, in case you're into linguistics and stuff like that, but it's going, it's baptizing, and it's teaching. Those are the three ways in which disciples are made as Jesus unpacks it here in the Great Commission. So we're gonna talk about going in a minute, but let's think first about those words, baptizing and teaching. Baptism is a sign that points to many things in the Bible. It points to cleansing from sin, it, it points to renewal, it points to being dedicated to the Lord or dedication of oneself or one's child to the Lord. But supremely, what it points to is union with Christ, being united to Christ through faith. We're baptized into Jesus. Jesus here says we're actually to be baptized into the name, singular of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So whenever someone says, where could you take me in the Bible to teach me about the Trinity? I don't even, I do a word search, I don't see the word Trinity in the Bible. Well, here's a passage in which Jesus is referring to the name, singular, of the triune God, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Actually, in this passage, claiming divinity for himself, even. But Jesus is also saying here that there's a sense in which we are Um, baptized into or united to God himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's a union with God that's signified through baptism, as Jesus describes it here in the Great Commission. All that reinforces the notion of the family of God. To be joined to Christ, to be in a relationship with God as Father is to be united to his people, to his family, as well as brothers and sisters a person baptized, becomes part of the covenant family of God. There's no churchless Christianity any more than there's no Christless Christianity. Outside of worship, gathered worship, the church's primary responsibility, duty, calling must be to making Disciples, in order to be faithful to the Great Commission. So baptizing, being baptized as part of disciple-making is to be connected to the church family, is to grow up in the context of the church family. But Jesus also says, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. And that, that all things literally means every last thing. It's like Jesus is saying, teach them everything. I taught you. That's why the Word of God is so essential for the making of disciples. Now, kids who are here, how many of you play baseball or softball? Raise your hand if you play baseball or softball. All right. Can you imagine playing baseball without a base or without a ball? How many of you play soccer? Could you imagine playing soccer without a soccer ball or a net? How many of you play an instrument? Could you imagine playing a violin without a violin, making music without an instrument in all of these ways? How many of you like to read books? Could you imagine reading a book without a book? It's the same way when it comes to growing as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. You know that your mom and your dad are are teaching you about the Bible because they know that the Bible is central to understanding what it means to know and to love Jesus Christ. And it's true for every single one of us. Now, we'll talk more uh, next week about discipleship in the context of talking about our ministry commitments. But what's the key? Jesus said, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. What is the key to uh, to obeying the commandments of Jesus Christ? Jesus told us in John 15, abide in me. Abide in me. Discipleship can be thought of as the lifelong process of learning to abide in Jesus until we see him face to face. Discipleship can be thought of as the lifelong process of learning to abide in Jesus until we see him face to face. Now, if you looked in your bulletin, I, 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 made, I made Catherine and Eric so happy this week because I told them about a book recommendation before the sermon. <laughs> and then on top of that, I gave them like six books or maybe eight, eight. Nay, maybe 10, no, I think it was eight. There is a QR code in your are both saying, please don't scan this now and go there. But I just wanna reference this because I'm gonna mention like four books in the context of this sermon. You're gonna be like, Mark, but they're here. And there's actually eight. So if you later, after the service, scan this QR code or you know ask how to get to that place in the website, you'll find all the books and more that I'm referencing during the course of this, of this sermon. But the one I wanna reference here when it comes to growing as disciples is David Mathis's book, Habits of Grace. It's, it's one of the foundational books as part of our Foundations of Grace Discipleship Series. It's an excellent, excellent resource to help you lay a foundation for lifelong growth as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, when we talk about going deep in our making of disciples, that includes our children. It includes our children. We do not teach, we're not, we do not treat our children as if they're outside the church, right? Jesus didn't. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. The apostle Paul did not treat children as if they were outside the church. In Ephesians chapter six, verse one, Paul instructs the children. He assumes that they are present in worship, He instructs them, and he says, little children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He's teaching them. He's discipling them. He's not treating them as if they're non-Christians. He's not saying to parents, you got to go talk to those kids who we're not letting in here because they're not. No, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Children are not treated in the Bible as though they were outside the family of God. They are welcomed, and they are taught to love and follow Jesus. In a a Presbyterian church, they receive the sign of baptism because we believe that they are the right recipients of that sign as belonging to the visible family of God. But we don't presume upon their salvation either. We welcome them as part of God's family. We believe that God's promise applies to them, that they stand in a special relationship to God, not a saving relationship with God inherently because they're children of at least one believing parent, but they stand in a special relationship with God and are the proper recipients of the sign of baptism, of the instruction of the church, but we don't presume upon their salvation. They need to be born again just like you did. And we can't cause our children to be born again. You you can think of all of the discipling that we do of children, the discipling that you do of your children in your home, the discipling that takes place in Sunday school, in children's worship, even this morning, as uh, Abigail shared with them some glorious truths about what it means to be the family of God. You can think of all of that like stacking firewood in the fireplace that is their heart and their mind. Right? When they're little children, it's like little pieces of kindling that you put in there. As they get bigger, it's like bigger pieces of wood and then logs that you're stacking in there, but you can't light the fire. Only Jesus can do that through his spirit. And so we pray that the Holy Spirit will bring the fire. We pray that the Holy Spirit will light the fire, will bring salvation to your children. And to the children of this church, I hope that as as you as adults were watching those children come forward, you were remembering the fact that Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And perhaps during that time, you were praying for those kids as you saw them. Lord, may it be that they put their hope in you. May it be that just as they came forward for that children's message, they will go to you for their salvation. And may it be that these, these kids, there's so many of them, that they'll, that they'll stick together as well, that, that in the generations to come, these guys will have grown up to be, you know, young men and women and then older men and women who have known each other and known their Lord for decades. May it be that God works in our children in such a way. But again, we don't presume. We pray that the Holy Spirit will light the fire even as we stack the wood in the hearth. Now, again, I'm going to reference that that website. If you go there, you'll find a link at that page to another page on our website that contains a whole list of resources for discipling your children in your home. So, going deep. But now, let's talk about going wide in our making of disciples. And here's where we can talk about that word, going. Remember that first participle. Going into all nations. Make disciples, Jesus says. Jesus sent his disciples into all nations. Why? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The mission of the church between Jesus' first coming and his final coming is to take the gospel to the nations. Along the way, as it the gospel goes forth, carried by the messengers of the gospel, which is every single one of us. Jesus Christ is building his church. The church is called to this work of evangelism, of disciple-making part one, of taking the gospel to the nations, to our neighborhoods, to our coworkers, to our friends, to our family, Every church is called to go wide in making disciples. Every follower of Christ is a sent one. We are all to be going. How will we make disciples as we go? And there's so many different ways that we could unpack this from Scripture, but I'm just going to talk about one, and that's making disciples in the context of relationships. In the context of relationships. And of all the different passages I could take you to in Scripture, I just want to highlight one, and that's this beautiful story in John chapter 4 of Jesus interacting with the woman of Samaria at the well, at Jacob's well. It's a beautiful story that highlights so much of what we're called to when it comes to engaging in relationship with people who don't yet know Jesus. When you go back and read John chapter 4 or later today or later this week, I hope you will, Um, you'll you'll notice there that there were three really significant barriers that Jesus broke through in order to talk to that woman. We don't see them. You know, as 2,000 years removed from the event and uh, however many miles removed from the Middle East, we don't understand the barriers that Jesus broke through in order to reach her. The first barrier that he broke through was her race. Jesus was a Jew. Jews wanted nothing to do with Samaritans. She was a Samaritan. The text actually says, you'll notice this when you read John 4, that Jesus had to go through Samaria. He didn't have to go through Samaria. Jewish people on that route would often go around Samaria. And if they had to go for the sake of time through Samaria, like they had no other choice, They would step into a ditch in order to avoid being on the road whenever a Samaritan passed by. That was the the level of animosity in the heart of Jewish people towards Samaritans. And yet, Jesus had to go through Samaria. He was on a mission, he had to meet with this woman. That leads to the second significant barrier. Her gender was a significant barrier. Jewish men prayed, I thank you, God, that I am a Jew, not a Gentile. I am free, not a slave, and I'm a man, not a woman. Jewish rabbis wouldn't take female disciples. Jewish men rarely spoke to women. And yet here's Jesus going to her, approaching to her, engaging with her, speaking to her. And then there's, that leads to the other thing, her sin. When you read the passage, you'll see that she was at the well alone at the sixth hour of the day. That was not the time that people went to collect water. That was in the heat of the day. Jewish, the Samaritan women would go to the well in the morning before it got hot, gather the water for the day and take it back. She was there alone in the middle of the afternoon. Why? Because the other women wanted nothing to do with her. Why might that be the case? Well, she had been married five times and the man that she was with now was not her husband. Jesus pushed through all those barriers. He asked her for a drink of water. Again, Jewish men wouldn't use anything touched by a Samaritan. If they they used something that a Samaritan had touched, they would be considered ceremonially unclean. And Jesus went to her and said, can I have a glass of water? In fact, he he dignified her in, in a very real way by asking her to serve him in his need. He shared the gospel with her. In, in, in his own way, he, shared the, he, he offered her living water, right? If anyone drinks of the water that I offer, he'll never, th- never thirst again. He spoke to her about her sin. He called on her to worship the one true and living God. All in the context of a really, even though brief, profound relational engagement. That really challenges us greatly, doesn't it? I mean, you could just think for a moment, what would the modern day equivalent be? Where would it be shocking for a Christian to go? It was shocking for Jesus to go there. Where would it be shocking for a Christian to go today? To whom would it be shocking for a Christian to have a conversation with? And yet Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. But how do we apply this principle in our everyday lives? Because that is as challenging as that is, the, the right question when it comes to application is what do I do with this when I get home this afternoon or tomorrow? Here's an idea invite a neighbor over for a meal. How do we begin to develop relationships with people so that we can, as God provides the opportunity, get to know their story, share our story, and then ultimately share the story of God's grace, it'll be in the context of relationships. We live in an age that is profoundly anxious and profoundly lonely. I forgot to put the statistics in my sermon. But I can remember this, that that, that there was a survey done concerning anxiety in America. This was in 2018, so pre-COVID. And anxiety levels in 2018 had increased by 40% over the previous 10 years. And then, of course, I've mentioned before the recent Surgeon General of the United States mentioned, referred to the era that we're in as a loneliness epidemic. People are lonely, people are anxious, and we have the hope The hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ that doesn't bring a a balm to earthly anxiety or or earthly loneliness merely by offering earthly solutions, but pointing to Jesus Christ, the only hope, not just for the anxiety and the loneliness that characterizes our life now, but eternal life. Where does that begin For, for most of us? It's just in the context of a relationship, maybe over a meal. The weather's getting warm. Have a cookout. Invite them to church. Ooh, that's scary. I, I know I told you about my Aunt Diane, my Aunt Dee Dee, as she's affectionately referred to. Aunt Dee Dee was the hound of heaven when Wendy... Actually, Aunt Dee Dee um, was instrumental in... Uh, Wendy and I dating, which is a whole other story, which is awesome. But she, Aunt Didi was my godmother. Got to love it when your godmother and your mother conspire to bring you and your future wife together. But Aunt Didi was a believer, and Wendy and I weren't. And Aunt Didi would just, in every single week, come to church with me, three months every week. We finally just relented. Okay, we'll go. And we heard the gospel, and our lives were changed. Be relentless, lovingly, but invite people to church. Why? The gospel is being proclaimed here. Not perfectly. It's not about my ability to communicate. It's about the fact that the spirit of God is present. The people of God are here. The word of God is being proclaimed. And when that happens, things change. When the Holy Spirit brings fire, when the Holy Spirit brings new life into a heart so that a person does something that they would never see themselves doing, believe this glorious gospel truth. It involves risk. I love this quote from Rosaria Butterfield. How can you possibly have strong relationships without taking the risk of being rejected? If you want to put the hand of the lost into the hand of the Savior, you have to get close enough to get hurt. Excellent. Two books to recommend here. The first is just a little book. Again, you'll find it at the website. Have No Fear by John Lennox. I think it's probably 70 pages. And it's just taking that great passage in 1 Peter 3, 15 to 17, about being ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you and just giving suggestions for how to apply that in your everyday lives with your neighbors, coworkers, and friends. Have No Fear. And then the second one is The Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield, who I just referenced. And that has to do with this This idea of of just hospitality when it comes to your neighbors. All right, so going deep and going wide. Our mission as a church is to go deep in our making of disciples and to go wide in our making of disciples. So, three points of application. First, we must be going deep in order to go wide, we must be going deeper with Jesus in order to go wider for him remember the motive for our mission out of love for Jesus and people. Love must be what compels us to go. Love is what constrained Paul. It, it focused his heart on the mission to take the gospel to the Mediterranean and the, and the ancient Near Eastern world. Love must do the same for us. Love for Jesus, love for people. That is simply the two, it's one GC applied to the other GC. It's, it's the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors yourself applied to the Great Commission is the motive for reaching the lost. How do we grow in our love for Jesus? It's growing in our knowledge of his love for us in the gospel. We love because he first loved us. Second, not only must we... Be, oh, another book recommendation, right? You'll find this on the website too. Deeper by Dane Ortland. Very profound book that's been a real blessing to me. So first, we must be going deeper with Jesus in order to go wider for him. Second, I hope that as we talk about the mission of Grace Church, if Grace Church is your church home, you will not be thinking, oh, that's their mission. That's Mark's mission. That's the elder's mission. That's the deacon's mission. That's the staff's mission. I hope you're not going to be thinking their mission. I hope you'll be thinking our mission. And so then consequently, to some extent, you're thinking, my mission. I'm part of this family. I have a part to play in this mission. This isn't their mission, it's our mission. And so to some degree, it's my mission. Now that might cause a great deal of anxiety in you, it might cause you to hesitate. And that's exactly what happened in the passage. Look back with me at verse 16 real quick. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. The Greek word actually is better translated hesitated. It's, it's that sense of kind of holding back. I'm not sure I can take all this in. What? Uh, you're, you're Jesus, but you're what? You may feel that even as you think about going and making disciples. There may be some level of hesitation. But notice what Jesus does with them to assure them. Look at the way he brackets the Great Commission. If the Great Commission is in verse 19 and the first part of verse 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Notice what's right in front of that and what's right after it. Right before it in verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then the second half of verse 20, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All authority is mine. I'm ever with you. I will never be apart from you. And all authority is mine. As we go sharing the gospel, as we go risking rejection to tell people about the Jesus that we love, we can go knowing that the one who we proclaim is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. He said in John chapter six, all that the father has given me will come to me. That command, that promise, that assurance in John chapter six carries through to this day because Jesus lives all authority in heaven and earth is his, all that the father has given him will come to him. We have the the privilege, the opportunity to tell people about this Jesus, knowing that Jesus will capture their hearts if he is going to call them to himself. And he is with us as we do so. What a comfort as we seek to live faithfully to this great commission. So not their mission, but our mission and my mission. Secondly, first, we must be going deeper with Jesus in order to go wider for him. And this leads to the third thing, prayer. We've got to pray. We can't do this in our own strength. I, I know how I feel about my own neighbors. And you might feel the same way about yours. When we think about this church and our role in this global great commission, we need prayer. Prayer. Every month on the last Sunday of the month, we meet for Kingdom Prayer. Our next time of prayer is next Sunday night. I hope you'll be here at 6.30 or that you'll uh, log in via Zoom because it's an opportunity to pray for the fulfillment of the Great Commission through his people, and that includes us here at Grace Church. I love this quote from Ian Murray. I'll I'll end with this. Ian Murray, a British biographer, he said this, The truth is that the church has always accomplished the most when she has deeply realized her own helplessness dependence upon god is our greatest need did you hear that what is the church's greatest need oh the church needs more money uh the church needs a building the church needs and we can list any number of things i like what ian murray is saying here i think it's true our greatest need is to recognize our dependence upon God. We're talking about spiritual and eternal matters here. No building will accomplish that. It can be a great aid, <laughs> but we need to depend upon God to do what only God can do. Dependence on God is our greatest need. It focuses our attention on what He can do. It's in the, the church is the hope of the world because the church carries the message of jesus christ and it's in the context of the church that people grow up to love and serve their savior together this is our mission because it's christ's mission for his church let's pray heavenly father we do pray that out of love for your son out of love for people you will help each of us as a church and as individuals, as families, to be part of what you're doing to make mature disciples of your son, Jesus Christ, in ever-increasing numbers. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.